This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com. In today's dynamic retail landscape, tracking openings and closings before they take place has never been more important. Having this intelligence is an undeniable competitive advantage. RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com, also known as ROCK, tracks future openings and future closings. Comprehensive, accurate, and reliable, the ROCK is your crystal ball and the key to making well-informed decisions with confidence in today's evolving retail climate. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today we have Steve Collins. Steve is a partner at the Palomar Group. They are investment sales brokers out of Augusta, Georgia. They focus primarily on retail properties in the Southeast. Steve has been in the industry for over 14 years. He is a Harvard grad and a former college football player. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you for having me, appreciate it. Steve, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about you, who you are, what you do, and what's going on in the life of Steve? Yeah, so we, um, the, the Palmar Group, we, uh, we started, me and my two partners, uh, David Rivers and Ryan McCardle, started the company. Or actually, tomorrow will be three years. We started uh, July 1st, three years ago. So we, we primarily focus on um, retail assets across the, uh, across the Southeast, um, anything from single tenant assets to unanchored centers to you know, grocery anchor centers and, um, and power centers as well. The three of us, David, Ryan, and myself, all started um, at our previous company within about two months of each other. And we, we worked there for about 11 years before we went out on our own. The, uh, our previous group um, was, a, was a regional developer. So we worked on a lot, of, a lot of their projects, doing a lot of grocery anchor centers, mostly um, throughout the Southeast. And we, we, kind of, we focused on that, on the development side for probably about five years. And then in about 2010, I believe it was, they, uh, they had a, a portfolio of seven shopping centers that they, they wanted to sell. So they gave, there are about 12 of us that worked over there. So they gave everybody a chance to sell those shopping centers. And David and Ryan and I, um, you know, kind of took the ball and ran with it and then, you know, really, really pushed those, uh, pushed those shopping centers and, they, they ultimately decided not to sell any of them, but, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but through that, we, uh, through that, we met, um, we met a lot of guys, a lot of different groups that, that were buying, uh, buying shopping centers. And so, you know, we found out what they were, what they wanted and we just worked the phones and started calling owners and seeing if, seeing if they would sell. So we, we, you know, we, we found, we found one and then, uh, you know, and then, you know, we said that, that, you know, that worked out pretty well. First, first of all, you had to work on, you know, you work on a, a shopping center for about, you know, selling a shopping center for about six months when you're working on developments, it's about three years. So it's a little bit, a uh, little bit, a little bit quicker turnaround, but, um, but no, we found that, you know, we found that first one and then, um, you know, we just, we found another one and, and just kept, kept growing from there. And, uh, after after a while, you know, people people eventually let us let us start listing deals for them, and uh, and we just kind of we once once we got going with it, we just shifted our focus and kind of took our hands off the development side of things at the uh, 
at, at the other company and just really focused on, on the investment sales side. And so did it over there for a few years. And then uh, three years ago, decided to uh, go out on our own. Why Palomar? What does Palomar mean? Palomar is a knot. It's a fishing knot. And it is the, it is the strongest fishing knot. So we, uh, we thought it was a good metaphor for us, you know, having, a, having the three of us having a strong bond and, and uh, being a very, very reliable. That's the, that's the official story. In all honesty, we, we, all three of us kind of tried to come up with a list of names and we, we couldn't really decide on anything we liked. And we came up with a big list and we sent it to a, uh, send it to a marketing company. And we told them to come up with, come up with a name for us. And they said, well, we kind of like this one. We, uh, we just went with it. <laughs> Cute. All right. Yeah. All right. Cute story. And you played football at Harvard. I did. Yes. What was yeah. that like? Uh, that was fun. It was, a. Uh, it was great. It was, uh, so I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina and, um, wanted to play, play football in college and, and wasn't, wasn't really recruited my, um, out of high school. So I actually, after high school, I did a, uh, did a post-grad year at a, uh, at a school called Fork Union Military Academy in Virginia and, um, played on their post-grad team, which, which their, their post-grad team is essentially just like a gap year between, between high school and college. And they're, um, their, their post-grad team, if you make the team, there's a, a, a very high probability that you're, that you're going to be able to play in college somewhere. Cause that's, that's kind of what that post-grad team is, is geared for. It's, it's pretty much like half the guys are there to just, they need to just get bigger, um, get bigger and, and you know, stronger and, and get recruited more. Like the other half were there because they maybe didn't have their SAT score. So yeah, so I think we had, you know, 50 guys on the team and I think all 50 of us played, you know, played somewhere in college. So, um, so I did that. And then, uh, being from South Carolina, you know, obviously the goal is, you know, you want to play in the SEC or ACC somewhere. So um, Harvard was never, was never even a remote thought in my mind. But, um, but there's actually a, a kid from, Har- from Fork Union that the previous year went to Harvard. Um, this is a kid on their high school team. So the Harvard coach came back to Fork Union and he actually was recruiting a couple guys on the high school team. And my coach told him that, uh, told him that I had pretty good grades. So, uh, he started, he started recruiting me. It was still, I mean, it's still, uh, still kind of hard to believe because it was just never like going up there was like never even a, you know, never even crossed my mind. I didn't even know who it was whenever, <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever they, like to me, I, I like, I thought New York was like the farthest possible place you could go north. So like, I didn't even really realize that, oh man, Boston's, wow, Boston's a good bit further north than New York. So, so uh, but no, I went up there and uh, I went up there and on my visit and, and loved it. At that point, I'd, I'd kind of seen that um, it, it, I was probably, I was getting recruited by mostly the one double A schools, FCS now, I guess. So you know, like you know, like Furman and uh, you know, Townsend. Udell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like schools, yeah, schools like that. So, um, so you know, I figured if I was if I was going to go the uh, go the one double A route, um, and Harvard Harvard wanted me to go there, uh, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to pass up. Let, let me ask you, yeah, obviously <laughs> Ivy League education, and then yeah. you know, on top of it, Harvard. So a couple things. One, how was it with the academics of Harvard plus doing football? How was that? Um, well, I mean, you, I mean, you're a college athlete. I mean, you know, it's a, it's, it's yeah. a grind. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a full-time job. And I mean, it was, I mean, it was tough. I was not, um, I was not smart enough to be one of those kids that could never go to class and then just like show up for the final and get an A. So I actually had to study. I think it's like anything you, you, you figure it out. I mean, playing athletics, I think, I think actually gave, gave me a bit of an advantage or gave all of us an advantage because you're, you're forced to manage your time. 
I'll never forget that my first, the first paper I ever turned in um, for a, it was a history class I was in. First paper I ever turned in, like the second week of school, I get it back. And it, and it said, this does the, the, the TA wrote, this does not make sense. <laughs> I was like, oh man, maybe, uh, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be here. <laughs> ended up passing that class, but that was a positive, but it was, no, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, it was hard. I mean, it definitely required work, but, but it, but it was, uh, it was enjoyable. One, one of the things I think people are always wondering out there, especially with, and, and we're off topic, but I think it's interesting, especially with the state of student loans and, what's happening with the universities on a go forward in the yeah. pandemic and all that. One of the things you always hear like is, you know, that's I think common kind of echo chamber talk today is like, you know, there's some degrees that aren't worth it, but still today the Ivy leagues are like, if you could get there, it's still worth the crazy premium that they charge. And one of the reasons is the opportunities it affords you later. Do you feel like, that holds water. Like, have you, do you have connections from Harvard that like you could have never had if you didn't get to go to Harvard and things like that? Um, I mean, sure. I think it just, I think it, what it, what it mainly did was it just opened you up to so many different people from all over the country and all over the world. I mean, like, I mean, you know, we had guys from, you know, 30 States on the, on the football team. So, you know, if I'd have just gone to, you know, the university of South Carolina or, you know, or Clemson or, you know, where, I would have more than likely just hung out with all the people I went to high school with and all the people I grew up with. So, you know, going away and, and being just meeting so many people from so many different places, um, I think definitely, I think was, was fantastic. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I do think it, it, it definitely helps. I mean, I always tell people like my wife's a high school teacher. She has kids that are applying to Ivy league schools and, and I'll talk with them sometimes. And I mean, at the end of the day, a degree from whatever school you go to, the only thing that matters is what you do with it. You know, the Ivy League, you know, Harvard in particular, I does. I do think it it helps you make that first step, and it helps kind of you know get that get your foot in the door. But I mean, but ultimately, it's what you do with it. It's not it's not where you're from. It's what you what you make of it. Yeah, that's a great and, point. And, and you talk about like the degrees. I mean, like I was a government major, and my my one partner David was a sociology major, and my other partner Ryan was a biology major. So like, yeah, well, none of us, none of us have, you know, none of us have that business major background. I, I would say it still feels like today, if you see on a resume or a LinkedIn profile, they went to Harvard, it stands out more than other schools. There's, I, I, I think that's, that goes without saying at least. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think it does. I, I bet it's open doors and meetings for you that you don't even know it did. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. And just, but like, just the, I mean, like just the guys that I know, the different paths that all of us have taken, you know, since, since college, um, it's really cool to be able to, to be able to, you know, call someone that's, you know, in a completely different field, but, you know, see, see what they're, you know, see what they're doing. And, and I think, you know, it, it, it's helped me a lot in business, just, you know, seeing other, what guys are doing in other sectors of business, you know, whether that be finance or, you know, other. Totally. I love that. One of my friends runs a casino, you know, one's, um, you know, several work in finance. So, you know, and then, you know, one works for, um, you know, Hilton hotels. So, you know, it's kind of just all over the place to, you know, hear about what they're doing. And it's motivating too, because all these guys are, are, are pretty successful. Kind of, it motivates you to, to want to want to get to that level as well. I bet the conversation with the guy who owns the casino right now, given everything with the pandemic would be, you know, applicable to your world being yes. in retail real estate. 
Yes, I, I, yes, it is. Uh, yes, it very, very, very applicable. Well, you recently did something that caught a lot of people's attention in the retail real estate industry. You went on what you called the Freedom Tour. Why don't you tell us about what the Freedom Tour was? Because I think it's a it's an interesting story. After about two months of quarantine, um, you know, where we hadn't been to any conferences, you know, all the conferences had gotten canceled. Nobody was, you know, nobody was traveling, um, seeing any, you know, seeing any of their clients or, or doing anything, um, you know, seeing people, which is a, which is a major part of our, um, of our business. One of my partners, uh, I think it was Ryan, his, his dad actually has a, has an RV and we were just kind of joking around one day that we should get an, we should rent an RV and just drive it around and, and see everybody. And I uh, see all of our, see all, all of our clients and all of our friends just all over the, all over the country. And so, so we did, <laughs> we, uh, we rented, we rented an RV and we, uh, me and, uh, David and Ryan, we set out on Monday morning and, uh, stayed, got, got back Friday night and hit, uh, hit 13 cities all over the, uh, all over the, all over the country. We went to, uh, we started off, we stopped in Charlotte and did Charlotte and Virginia beach on Monday. We did Richmond and DC on Tuesday and Cleveland and Cincinnati on Wednesday, Lexington, Louisville and Nashville on Thursday, and then Chattanooga and finished it up in Atlanta on Friday. So, um, it was great. We covered uh, 2,200 miles in a week in a, uh, in a 30, 32 foot wind sport, uh, wind sport RV. Amazing. <laughs> and I'm interested in the story behind that because while it's fun, it's cool. It's, it's a road trip. You were all stir crazy, but the premise behind it is while everyone's doing zoom calls, you created an opportunity to actually go see people. Yes. Yes. And that was, one thing I think we've all realized um, during during the shutdown and during quarantine is that we all want human interaction, and no, we we haven't had that for so long. So a lot of our most of our clients are are not you know are, are not in Augusta. You know they're all over the country. So you know we get to see we'll travel to see them. You know we'll see them at conferences or, or whatnot. But uh, and we hadn't had that. And um, I thought one thing that was that was really interesting. So we set up tailgates in park in uh, in parking lots and shopping centers, and just had you know had people come over and you know would uh, you know have have, t- have a tailgate for a couple hours. And I thought it was really interesting that even like people that work together, they, they hadn't seen each other in ninety days. So they're like they're they're coming to our tailgate and they're like saying hi to each other because they hadn't they hadn't seen each other. So wow, uh, that is fast. Yeah, and also one thing that really surprised me was how long people stayed. I mean, like people, like we thought, you know, we thought, you know, all right, these will probably last for, you know, an hour at the most, but, but like people stayed for like, you know, for hours, like even people, you know, people that when we're looking at the list of who had RSVP, we're like, all right, you know, they'll probably stop by for a few minutes, say hi, and then leave. But like they were, everybody was staying. Cause I think, I think people just wanted, you know, people just wanted that human interaction and wanted to just be, be around people that weren't their immediate family. You know, we talked about some business, but, um, you know, a lot of it was just, you know, just catching up and just seeing, you know, just seeing how everybody's been doing. What do you think the long-term effects are of you taking the time and going to see these clients and going to do that? Would, do, do, have you seen any positive effects from it already? Uh, I mean, hopefully, I mean, I mean, I think it's already paid dividends. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't scheduled to be on your podcast until after we, uh, until after we did that. So that's a great uh, point. And I mean, I'm hopeful that we, 
when we went into this, the whole, the whole shutdown and, and everything, our mindset, like, even though, even though we knew that our, our volume of transaction was going to be down for this year, we, we wanted to, our immediate thought was how do we, during this time, even though our transactions are down, how do we position ourselves to come out of this even more successful than we were going in? So hopefully doing this um, and, and doing other things like, you know, like we're doing our podcast and, and, you know, being more active on, you know, on LinkedIn and things is, uh, and just, and just, you know, communicating with people is will hopefully allow us to be more, you know, to be more, more successful on the, on the tail end of this than, than we were going in to be determined, but uh, that's, that's our, that's our hope. I think it's going to pay dividends. I think the, the fact that you took the time to drive cross country, to go see people, people appreciate that. I think you saw that in how long the dwell time was at your tailgates. And I think that will be remembered down the road for sure. Yeah, hopefully. I think, yeah, I definitely think it's something people remember. And, you know, it's, it's, we're a small shop. We're not a, you know, we're not a international brokerage company or anything. I mean, we can do everything that those guys do, but um, we want to set ourselves apart from our competition. And uh, hopefully this is, a, that was a good way to do it. it it's definitely a, a, a unique thing. And, I don't know if there was things like that. You mentioned networking with peers in other industries. I don't know if there was anything like that done in other industries, but unique and clever marketing. And I'm always intrigued by clever marketing. So uh, for sure, you mentioned business. So from the investment sales broker mindset, what, what is the strategy coming out of this for you guys? What are you thinking? Um, I mean, I think businesses, I mean, we, we've already seen things pick back up. I mean, at the, at the beginning, um, when we had a, a, a lot of deals under contract going into COVID and I mean, it was pretty much just, you know, slowly one after the other, you know, fell out of contract. A lot of those. So if you don't mind some context, what does a lot of deals mean? We had eight deals under contract okay. going into COVID, um, which, you know, which we're all supposed to close, you know, be closed by now. But they, um, we did have one, we did have one go through three others are still in, you know, still in the process, but everything's been kind of pushed out. Um, I mean, you said it, everything had to be, I mean, you know, lenders backed up, backed up, you know, equity partners, you know, took a pause, um, underwriting became a challenge because nobody knew what tenants were going to be left and what they were going to be paying. So it was a, a very uncertain time, but now I think as we, as we, we start to open back up and get some more clarity on just what the situation is. Um, I think it's going to be good. I think, I think activities, as we've already seen it pick back up. We've got, I mean, we've put deals under contract, continue to receive offers on deals and are, are talking with guys more proactively now. I mean, at the start, at the start of COVID, we were mainly talking to guys about, what's this tenant doing? And then relaying that information to other guys who also have that tenant or, you know, trying to help people navigate the waters with their tenants. And now, now the conversations are more, all right, how do we, how do we capitalize coming out of this? Where do we need to be focusing our efforts on acquisitions or dispositions? So I'm confident that we bounce back and have a, have a, I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly going to be a down year just for our industry as a whole, but, um, I'm hopeful that it's not as down as was first feared. You mentioned some things are coming back. What are the secrets for deals to come back right now? 
I think tenant stability and tenants, tenants opening back up. And I, I think we've seen a lot of that already. Um, I mean, we hit nine states when we were on the Freedom Tour, and we were very curious as to what just what the shopping environment was going to be and what traffic was going to be like outside of Georgia. We were very, very pleased and very surprised at just how busy all these shopping centers were. I mean, people, you know, people still, you know, they're wearing the masks, they're taking, you know, social distancing and everything, but the, um, but the shopping centers that we stopped at were by and large, very busy. So, um, I mean, you still had some, you know, you still had some gyms, you know, some movie theaters and some restaurants, you know, not either closed or not operating at full capacity, but by and large, most tenants were open and, and the shopping centers were busy. So I think that bodes well. Um, I think we've already started to see some stability coming into the market. Cause I mean, I think a lot of landlords went into this, you know, thinking that rent collections, it, it was a very real possibility that rent collections went to zero and they have been very pleased with, with how those collections have been. So I think that the hope is that the stability comes back pretty quick. For, for a buyer, stability means tenants getting open, what else defines stability in today's world? Uh, we, we have a lot of instability right now, but, but uh, I think stability, I, I think confidence, um, public confidence in just the direction that, direction that, that things are going. Um, I think the consumer confidence is going gonna, is gonna to help, help drive a lot of stability. From a purely like owner or you know, acquirer, um, you know, lenders coming back because lenders, lenders backed away substantially at the, uh, at the start of this. I mean, we had, we had one deal that was, you know, they were getting, it was a grocery anchor deal that they were getting a CMBS loan and, you know, they were in the, you know, I want to say they were in the low, low to mid 3% range. And then, you know, COVID hits, you know, the lender says, well, we'll still do it. One day the lender says, well, we'll still do it, but the rate's now 4.8%. Uh -oh. And then, and then the next day, the lender just backed away completely. Yeah, I think I think and I think lenders are we've you know we've guys are, are getting quotes on on loans again. Um, lenders are quoting loans, and so I think getting getting those guys active, getting the lenders active again, I think is going to be kind of the last the last shoe that needs to drop. One of the things that I think will or should be looked at, no matter if there was a concession or not, if a retailer was willing during the pandemic to sign up for more term that to me if they could look in the face of that uncertainty and sign up longer term that to me to a buyer of a shopping center should be a defining moment of stability and i would feel confident as a seller and and as a buyer the buyer should be pretty confident in in that tenant um, no matter where they're at right there, if, they, if, they, if they're willing to sign up and they could look through the pandemic and say, I'm going to extend this out despite what's going on, that to me is pretty powerful. I, I don't know what, it's anecdotal, but it is, it should be a sign of confidence to your point previously. Yeah, no, hundred percent agree, agree completely. And I, and I think the, you know, of the, of the landlords that we've talked with, that's happened a lot. A lot of these tenants, you know, have in, in working through, you know, some rent relief for, you know, two, three months or whatever, have have extended for longer term. As as you know, I mean, just more term makes the makes the shopping center more stable. So, um, 100% agree with that. I think landlords have 
and tenants as well have done a have done a good job of working together to provide both both parties more stability. I mean, longer term is great for you know longer term is great for a landlord, but it's also great for a tenant because then they're able to you know they're able to see what their you know what their expenses are going to be for a longer period of time. So it really really plays back into that that the landlords and tenants are in a, in a partnership together to help everybody be successful. I want to pivot that it, it's, that's some good high level stuff. I want to pivot a second. What is the state of the investment sales brokerage industry on a, on a, on a go forward in a post pandemic world? Is there, are there changes? What happens? Uh, I definitely think there'll be changes. Um, I mean, I know just like, you know, just like after I remember I was fairly new into the industry and wasn't really doing investment sales um, in 2008, whenever 2008 hit. But I remember um, our, our bosses at the time used to always say, if you can make it, if you can make it through this, you can make it through anything. And I, I do think that going through that time, a lot of, a, a lot of, you know, people that had been in the industry for a long time ha- did get out of the industry. And I, I think that's partly I think, I mean, I think some of that helped us, um, helped us get going because a lot of the guy, when we were first ramping up, trying to, trying to get our foot in the door in the investment sales, um, in the investment sales thing, most of the acquisitions guys that we were talking with were not the, you know, 55, you know, 60 year old guy, they were the 30 year old guy. So, um, you know, we definitely had a lot more in common with them than, you know, than probably previously would have. So. I think it's going to, I mean, I think there's definitely going to be some people that get out of the industry, but I think even more than that, I think you are just launching a deal, sending out an email blast, sitting back and waiting for offers to come in is not going to cut it. I mean, that's, that's not something that we do. I mean, we, we actively push all of our, our deals and, and try and get creative and find, you know, find different ways in order to make sure our clients are successful. So I think it's going to be, there's just going to be a continued, continued evolution of using technology, but also just using, using the phone and reaching out and talking with people and um, connecting. You, you mentioned technology. Do you, do you see things like auction.com and 10 X and, and that starting to explode given um, that, given the virtual world we are living today? I, I mean, I think 10X is going to, you know, going to continue to be around. I don't know. I, I mean, things I like that, right? Yeah. Things like that. Like that's a techn- technological innovation that came out of whatever, right? Do you see yeah. more innovations like that? I, th- I mean, I, th- I think there, I think there will be more, there'll definitely be more innovations. Um, I, I think from, from our perspective, of the innovations can come in a lot of ways with how you can, how you can tell the story of the shopping center. So you know, not every tenant reports sales, but now we can find traffic data. So we can see, you know, we can see how many people are coming to that shopping center or coming to that specific tenant. And we can, you know, we can compare like, all right, what were those, how many people were coming pre-COVID, how many people were coming during COVID and how many people, you know, how many people are coming now? So I think things like that um, are going to play a, a big factor in, in helping, you know, helping tell the story of, of, a, of a retail property. Got it. Anything else we should be talking about right now that we're not talking about? I think that there's, we should be talking about a lot more of the positivity that's out there right now, because I do feel 
from, from when we were out on the road, there was a lot more positivity than, than what I, what, what we were expecting from landlords that were extremely pleased with the amount of rent that they've gotten from the, the communications that they had with their tenants from, from what their tenants were doing to get through it and, and, and how tenants were getting creative, even though they were able to operate at a limited capacity, how they were, how they were able to get creative and figure out ways to, to stay in business and, and to continue to operate. And also I think just, you know, just it was very positive, the number of people that we saw out shopping and, uh, and, and trying to, trying to get back to normal. Um, so I know most of most of what we hear, and if you turn, one of the best parts about about being in the RV for a week was we didn't turn on the news once. <laughs> we didn't even we didn't watch uh, we didn't watch TV at the entire week, which was great because um, I feel like every time you turn on the TV, you see a lot of a lot of negativity, and uh, it was good to it was good to see people and uh, see people that were that were that were being pretty positive and pretty optimistic about the future. So um, I, I think I think that's one thing that we definitely should be focusing on more in, in our industry and as our, in our, in our country. Yeah. It, it, it's an interesting uh, comment and I, I, I'm glad you said it. I actually, I found really interesting. I was doing some homework on recessions. I'm a dork. I was just kind of looking to see what, what happened on in recessions. And I found this quote that was, just stuck with me. And this quote I found was, now that the crisis is here, there is a sudden frantic effort to visualize its implications. Government and business seem equally unsure. And I found that quote interesting, and that doesn't sound positive, and I'll get to my point. Uh, but Accurate, but accurate though. <laughs> so so you, you say accurate. You know when that quote was from? Uh, adult. The 1973 recession from Ad Age. They they ran that in Q4 in the midst of the recession in 1973. Really, and so I found that interesting because we're saying the same things. Yeah, it kind of like gave me a moment in time where I was like, you know what, this too shall pass. Because if that quote was printed in 2008, if it was printed in the savings and loan crisis in '87. After the dot-com bubble, it could have been printed today, but it wasn't. And yep. it was the same, same thing you're reading in headline news today. We don't talk about the positivity enough. We talk about that. But it was a moment in time for me to go, you know what? Uh, this too shall pass. So um, I appreciate you bringing up the, the, the positivity point. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, 100, you're 100% accurate. Yeah, we're going we're to get through it. Like, I mean... Not necessarily a pandemic, but you know, recession recessions happen, and totally we get we get through it. And and ultimately, I, I mean, just like we've seen over previous recessions, the the ones that the ones that make it out of that recession make it out stronger than they than they went into it. So, and that's what I know. That's what DLC is trying to do, and that's what that's what you know that's what we're trying to do as well. All right. Well, listen, this has been great. We're now going to the last part of our show, which I call retail wisdom. Yes. I typically ask everyone three questions um, and I'm going to ask you those three questions. Uh, tell me when you're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. All right. What is your best piece of commercial real estate advice? 
So the, uh, the best piece of advice, uh, that I think I got was, was way back when I first started. Um, and it was, you're not working for this deal. You're working for the fifth deal. And I think that kind of goes to the core of that. We're, we're in a relationship business. Don't sacrifice a relationship for getting one deal done. You want to, you want to get a lot of deals done with that person. So always treat everybody involved the right way so that you can work with them again in the future. Great advice. Love that answer. Question two, extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead. This is uh, this is an easy one for me. And I was, I was a little disappointed because I know I was, I was actually listening to your podcast. It's been said before, but uh, Toys R Us. All right. I, I feel like I just, I can't believe they didn't just capitalize on the, the retail experience. I mean, it's toys, you know, set up a, set up an area for kids to play and you like make it, make it a place. I mean, you go to their stores and it's like a warehouse, but make a place, you know, make a, make a play area for kid, parent, where parents want to take their kids and, and let them, let them play with toys and then ultimately buy the toys. So I think they, I, I thought I always, I always wondered why they, why they never did that. And why they, I felt like, I feel like toys is such an easy, such an easy thing to capitalize on with the, uh, the whole, the whole, ex, the whole experience of. Have you seen the store camp? Uh, I have not. I have not Check there. it out. Yeah. Google camp okay. the store. They're in New York city. Check out the store camp. Okay. Check yeah. it out. I, I will do, I will do that. All right. The last question. I'm going to give you a retail product. You're going to give me the retail price. All right. Here's the story behind the product. For Mother's Day, we got my mother-in-law a family photo session to take a family portrait. We're going to do it at their beach house uh, in Avalon, New Jersey. And it's going to be a beach photo session. And so my wife was picking out my clothes. I am looking at the Tommy Bahama, the good life linen, white shorts. Oh, nice. What do they retail for? Um, well, we are, I'm actually going to the beach next week. So I'll probably have a better, I'll probably be able to just absolutely hit this on the head next by next week. Cause I'm sure my wife's probably going to have me buy something very similar to do our, uh, <laughs> to do our uh, family picture with, but, um, Tommy Bahama linen shorts. I'm going to say $75. Close. $89.50, but thank you for playing. Oh, well, God, I was, I was going to go 80 but uh, <laughs> not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> Listen, Steve, this was great. Appreciate the stories and uh, looking forward to coming on your podcast, man. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I uh, greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.